Welcome to the History of Chemistry podcast. I'm Steve Cohen, your host, and this is episode 107, Transfermium Wars, on the disputes over discovery of several elements. Thanks to those who already support this podcast. Support the continuation of this podcast at Patreon. The website is www.patreon.com forward slash the history of chemistry. It's been many, many episodes since I talked of the discovery of elements. Our last foray into that topic discussed discovery of the elements through 103 in the early 1960s, which completed the actinide section. One of the ribbons of elements that appear underneath the main part of the periodic table, seemingly disconnected from the rest of the table. The table up through the 1960s and element 103 is the table as it appeared to me as a small child when I first became interested in chemistry. Modern tables, however, show an entire bottom row with elements up through 118. In the noble gas column on the right. Now we shall talk about what happened on the way to entering new elements after 103. But first, let's review something about these artificial elements with high atomic numbers. This series is not about nuclear physics, so we will not go into detail, but it's important to realize that such elements are exceedingly unstable. As we know, an atomic nucleus is a conglomeration of protons and neutrons. These particles, or nucleons, are positive or neutral, with no negative charges apparent. So, how do they stay together if positive charges repel each other? Through another force, the strong force that was only understood by the 1960s and 1970s. The strong force only is active over very short ranges, that is, only the distance of an atomic nucleus. As a nucleus grows in size with more protons and neutrons, those particles on the outskirts of the nucleus feel less and less of the strong force. Therefore, the nuclei break apart quickly by just splitting or emitting an alpha particle, which is also a helium nucleus, made of two protons. Plus two neutrons. The upshot here is that such atoms are so unstable that they always break down in tiny fractions of a second, and so the only way to know about them is to create them artificially. This, of course, gives a whole strange meaning to just the word element, for nothing in the universe is known to be made of any of these unstable elements. So now we return to the 1960s. Lawrencium element 103 was already discovered, and we are back to 1964, and in the Soviet city of Dubna at the Joint Institute of Nuclear Research. The nuclear scientists there shot neon 22 atoms, which have 10 protons and 12 neutrons in each atom, at a target made of 97% plutonium 242. And three percent of two other isotopes. Plutonium has 94 protons and 148 neutrons in each atom. 
Apparently, the team made some element which they reacted immediately with zirconium tetrachloride. To collect these molecules, they pulled the molecules out in inert nitrogen gas through a four-meter tube into a chamber with radioactivity detectors. The new artificial element displaced the zirconium to make element tetrachloride. They found the reaction is from an element quote slightly less volatile than that of hafnium, but far more so than those of actinides. Unquote. Given that it reacted like zirconium and that column of the periodic table, they believed it was element one hundred four right underneath hafnium. They couldn't get a decent half-life for decay of this element. Thought they found point three seconds half-life, but later work seemed to indicate they saw atomic weight two hundred fifty-nine. The JINR team's research was published and present in papers from nineteen sixty-four through nineteen seventy. The Dubna group decided to call their new element kerchatovium, symbol KU, after Igor Kerchatov. A head of Soviet nuclear research who died in 1960. Meanwhile, of course, the University of California Berkeley team, led by Albert Giorso, was hard at work looking for element 104. They also blasted ions at a target, but used carbon-12 ions with six protons and six neutrons at Californium 249. With 98 protons and 151 neutrons, the product they found was nobelium 253, already known, but itself was a decay product of isotope 257 of element 104 plus an alpha particle and four neutrons. They also found a similar decay of isotope 259 of element 104 into nobelium 255 plus an alpha particle. They rejected the Dubna group's 0.3 second half-life, and reported the two isotopes with half-lives of three and four and a half seconds. This was all published on April 30th, 1969. The American story was confirmed in 1973 by another group using X-ray emissions and confirming the four and a half second half-life. Believing they had the right of actual discovery and naming. The Berkeley group offered the name Rutherfordium, symbol RF, after Ernest Rutherford, about whom we've heard previously. We call all these elements with atomic numbers higher than that of element 100, fermium, transfermium elements. In the meantime, in 1979, the IUPAC decided on temporary, provisional, systematic names for all elements past 103. For element 104, the provisional name would be unnilquadium, from Latin one, zero, and four. There was lots of grumbling and snickering over these sorts of names in the chemical world. While that controversy was seething. Teams naturally marched onward through the periodic table. Again, the Soviet JINR team was blasting targets with a beam of neon twenty-two atoms. This time, they targeted americium two forty-three. The decay products they saw were two half-lives of a couple of seconds or so, 
and one with something over one-twentieth of a second. They said that this was isotope 261 and isotope 260 of element 105. Their first report was published in April 1968. And Berkeley was hot on their tail. The California group shot nitrogen-15 atoms at a Californium-249 target and saw a decay of something into Lorentzium-256 plus and alpha. Working backward, that something was isotopes 260 of element 105. But the energy observed didn't match Dubna's findings, and Berkeley's team published in April 1970. The results implied that JINR really didn't see isotope 260 of element 105. Berkeley's scientists proposed the name Hanium, symbol HA, after nuclear chemist Otto Hahn. JINR, a month later, in May, tried again, and included some chemical reactivity data using niobium pentachloride, and then redid the experiment in June with a target of purer americium to show again that they made isotopes 260 and 261. And even with all these data, they didn't offer a name for element 105 immediately, which implied to everyone else that their data simply weren't decisive enough. Eventually, the Soviet group did propose to call element 105 borium, symbol B-O, after the physicist Niels Bohr. That received some blowback from others, who noted that borium could be confused with boron. So they revised the proposed name to Niels Borium, symbol NS. With the continued controversy flaring, the Soviets asked for an international commission to review things, and the leaders of the California team, Glenn Seaborg and Albert Giorso, even traveled to Dubna to try to smooth things over in 1975. Two hours of discussions were fruitless, where Seaborg told off the Russians because they wouldn't take Berkeley's work seriously. A year later, at a May meeting between Georgi Flerov from Dubna and Albert Giorso of California, it was a flashpoint. Soon the Berkeley labs refused even to validate any reports out of Dubna. Part of the issue was what was a valid way to report a new element. The Soviets preferred spontaneous fission of whatever atom was created. The Americans angled toward the decay products and argue backward to the original atom. As with element 104, IUPAC gave a temporary Latin Greek name to element 105, unnilpentium, even as the nuclear chemistry teams continued to advance across the periodic table to element 106. Any temporary name would be, as you might guess, unnilhexium. The American group at Berkeley started around 1971, again using Californium-249 as the target material, this time shooting oxygen-18 atoms at the target. The team saw alpha decays with 9.1 million electron volt energies, but couldn't confirm things. Right after that, the particle accelerator used at Berkeley Labs was upgraded and inaccessible for experiments. Once the beam system was back up and running, in 1974, 
the group retried their experiments to confirm and got similar results. In essence, Albert Giorso and his buddies could have discovered element 106 if they reanalyzed their 1971 data better. Their product was specifically isotope 263 of element 106, whose half life was 0.9 seconds. Of course, Yuri Oganesan and his pals at JINR were now hot on their trail, and in 1974 also, they reported the synthesis of element 106. They used different beams and targets, a beam of chromium 54 ions with a target of lead 207 and another target of lead 208. They claimed to see 51 separate events, giving isotope 260 of element 106. Both groups held off bestowing a name to their respective discoveries avoiding the flames of element 104 and 105. We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. And research continued across the row to element 107. This time the JINR group got something first in 1976 by zapping chromium 54 at bismuth 209 and manganese 55 at lead 208. They reported half-lives of a millisecond or so and 5 seconds. But the evidence was shaky at best. This time a third group, GSI Helmholtz Center for Heavy Ion Research in Darmstadt, Germany, co-headed by Peter Ambruster and Gottfried Münzenberg, reported in 1981 their evidence for shooting chromium-54 at a bismuth-209 target to get a grand total of five atoms of isotope 262 of element 107. Their research was bolstered by a detailed analysis of the atom's radioactive decay into known lighter elements. Neither GSI nor Dubna offered a suggestion for naming, preferring to leave it to others to decide who won the discovery. By element 108, as the difficulties in creating unstable elements increased, the data got more ambiguous. Oganesan at JINR first tried to create element 108 by slamming together radium-226 and calcium-48. Things were murky, and another group, including O.A. Orlova, tried with lead-208 and iron-58, but they were unable to confirm synthesizing element-108. Oganesan tried again in 1983, bombarding manganese-55 ions onto bismuth-209, iron onto lead, and Berkeley's old method, neon-22 onto californium-249. The group thought they might have made isotopes 263, 264, and 270, 
but data were definitely not clear. A year later, the Dubna group tried a third time to reproduce the second attempt and saw 21 radioactive decay events supporting at least the isotope 264 of element 108. A bit later in 1984, the GSI group in Germany also tried for element 108, firing lead 58 ions at lead 208. Eventually, the Darmstadt team were able to synthesize three atoms of isotope 265, and then a year later, one sole atom of isotope 264. As with elements 107 and 108, neither group offered names for these elements. But then you say, what about element 109? It turns out that it was discovered before element 108. In this case, the German group. Were able to zap some iron 58 ions onto a bismuth 209 target and make one single atom of isotope 266 of element 109 in August 1982. The Soviet group confirmed this work in 1985. Yet The transfermium wars were still flaming, so that year in 1985, a transfermium working group of the International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry, along with the International Union of Pure and Applied Physics, was created. Members of the working group included scientists from Canada, Poland, the UK, France, Japan, Czechoslovakia, and Holland. The working group first decided in 1990 on what criteria constitutes discovering a new element. Then, a year later, the working group reviewed data from these three groups and decided who discovered which element. After studying claims and counterclaims, the Transfermium Working Group of the International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry, along with the International Union of Pure and Applied Physics, Decided to award joint discovery of element 104 to JINR and Berkeley in 1992. The Berkeley group was irate, noting that over the years the Soviet-Russian group kept changing their observations about what they discovered, whereas the American groups all confirmed the observations. The working group did allow the Americans the honor of naming the element, which is now Rutherfordium. As the Berkeley group proposed, for element 105, the working group noted the close time frame between Berkeley Labs and Dubna, and said both get credit again. The Californians again disputed the decision, saying that the Soviets could definitely show results a year after them. As a compromise for naming element 105, the IUPAC in 1994 offered to honor the Frenchman Frédéric Joliot Curie. With the name Joliotium, symbol JL. Again, the American group loudly argued against this idea for a number of reasons, which are entangled with other elemental discoveries, but also that the decision was pro-Soviet for elements 104 and 105, even though Berkeley was given credit equally. So let's look at the next elemental names and untangle this. Ultimately, the working group decided in favor of the Americans as the discoverers of element 106. To be nice, the Americans revived the name Kerchatovium 
originally proposed for Element 104, but they dropped the idea after seeing the working group's decisions on 104 and 105. As Glenn Seaborg told it, quote, The eight members of the Giorso group suggested a wide range of names honoring Isaac Newton, Thomas Edison, Leonardo da Vinci, Ferdinand Magellan, the mythical Ulysses, George Washington, and Finland, the native land of a member of the team. There was no focus and no frontrunner for a long period. Then one day Al, that is Giorso, walked into my office and asked what I thought of naming element 106 Seaborgium. I was floored, unquote. The name Seaborgium, symbol SG, was announced at the Spring Conference of the American Chemical Society in 1994. But then in August, IUPAC decided that no living person can be so honored. Instead, they offered Rutherfordium. If the Russians got blowback for the name Borium decades earlier, that was no match for the American fury on Rutherfordium. The ACS steadfastly held on to Seaborgium, regardless of IUPAC. The lame defense from an American member of IUPAC was, quote, Discoverers don't have a right to name an element. They have a right to suggest a name. And, of course, we didn't infringe on that at all, unquote. Whatever. The ACS stood firm on Seaborgium for Element 106, and a year later, in 1995, the IUPAC buckled under pressure. For elements 107 to 109, the working group acknowledged the Germans as discoverers. The Darmstadt group settled on Niels Borium, symbol NS for 107, but IUPAC said no because no element before was named for first and last names of a person. The choice was handed over to the Danes, who allowed that Borium itself is fine, and it's been so ever since. Likewise, with Element 108, where the majority of the discovery went to Darmstadt, so the team there called the element Hassium, symbol HS, after the Latin form of the German state Hesse, where Darmstadt is. The Germans also proposed for Element 109 Meitnerium, symbol MT, after Lisa Meitner. Meitnerium is the only element specifically named for a real woman, because Curium is named for both Pierre and Marie Curie. Which leaves the name for element 105 undecided. The trouble brewing required another IUPAC meeting in 1996, which suggested the name Dubnium, symbol DB after Dubna, the location in Russia where JINR found elements. The Americans supposedly allowed this to go forth reluctantly, and the name Dubnium was official by 1997. Even that wasn't the end. Berkeley Labs used their original proposed name, Hanium, occasionally for another 15 or so years. Eventually, the editor of the journal Radiochemica Acta decided to reject all papers sent to him using the unapproved name Hanium, and that seems to have quelled the storm. Later on, we will tackle elements 110 and higher. Right now, I suspect your head, like mine, is spinning over all the rancor and multiple names in the 1970s through the 1990s. Enough already. In our next episode, we focus on a topic of intense interest among organometallic chemists 
in the 1990s, making methane into methanol in one easy step. Until then, brave the elements! Thank you for listening to the History of Chemistry podcast.